Welcome to the Private School Leader Podcast, where private school leaders learn how to thrive and not just survive as they serve and lead their schools. I'm your host, Mark Minkus. I'd like to start today's episode by telling you about one of the most embarrassing things that's ever happened in my life. And this embarrassing moment was around 20 years ago, maybe 23 years ago. In fact, it was so embarrassing and so well known in my family that just last week, one of my daughters brought it up to me, even though it happened over 20 years ago. So this embarrassing moment happened when I was the head of school at a K-12 Christian school. The first 21 years of being a school leader, that's where I was. And back in the late 90s, my oldest daughter was in first grade. And I'm driving home from school one day, and I get a call from my administrative assistant. And she's like, Mark, um, are you taking Danielle home? And I had forgotten my daughter at school. I was so busy and so distracted. I just got in my car and I was just driving home from work. And I went back to the school and of course she had no idea. She's just playing in the main office. But that was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. I get a call that I left my daughter at school. And one of the biggest advantages of having my three daughters attend my school is that the school was their second home and that it was kind of like their big playground, especially when they were younger. So I just told you about one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, but now I want to tell you about one of the biggest regrets of my life. And one of my biggest regrets has to do with one of my daughters when she was in lower school, and this daughter has ADD, had ADD, and the teacher that she was with that year was just really not effective working with kids that had ADD. And the whole year, I just pretended that it would get better. I never really got involved in an effective way. And she suffered because of it. And I did very little to improve that situation that year for my daughter. And she had a really rough year, and it also impacted my relationship with my wife, as you might expect. So my most embarrassing moment one of my biggest regrets have to do with my daughters being at my school. But I also have to say that that's one of the biggest joys in my life. The fact that my three daughters attended the school that I led was amazing. But also, having my three daughters attend the school that I led was one of the most complex experiences of my career. And we tell the parents at our school that where they enroll their children is one of the most important decisions that they'll make as a family. And that's 100% true for them, and it's also 100% true for your family as well. And as you're listening, you may have children that attend your school. You may have little ones that aren't old enough to be in school, and you're trying to decide if when they're of school age, will they go to your school. One day, you might be blessed with having children, and you're wondering if they should attend the school that you lead. And you might be at a school where you're not given a choice in that matter because many private schools have it as a condition of employment that if you're the administrator, if you're the leader, that your children attend the school because of the, uh, the message that it sends to parents if your children attend 
public school or another private school. So it's very complicated, very complicated. Well, if you have school-aged children, or you may one day have school-aged children, today's episode of the Private School Leader Podcast is for you, because today we are going to discuss when your children attend the school that you lead. And specifically, what we're going to discuss today is how this impacts you as a principal parent. That's how I'm going to refer to a leader who has a child in the school, principal parent. How this impacts you as a principal parent, the unique way that this impacts your children when they attend your school, how this impacts your teachers, and then for each of those three domains, those three areas, I'm going to give you some strategies to help successfully navigate the complexities of having your own children in your school. But before we jump into that, I've created a free resource for you called The Six Things That Every Private School Teacher Wants From Their Leader. And it's a six-page PDF that I'm sure that I, I just really, really feel strongly that if you do these things, the teachers at your school will be happy to follow you. And you can get your free guide by going to theprivateschoolleader.com slash guide. And I also have a bunch of free resources for you over at theprivateschoolleader.com slash resources. And the show notes for today's episode, I always encourage the listeners to just kind of listen and take it in and don't worry about remembering everything because I always try to take good care of you in the show notes and you can get those at the privateschoolleader.com slash episode 16. All right, so let's jump into this prickly complex topic of having your children attend the school that you lead. And the first thing I want to talk about is being the principal parent. So some of the advantages, and I'll just speak from experience, some of the advantages for me was I got to spend so much time with my daughters on the drive to school and the drive home from school, hanging around with them after school, um, interacting with them at different points during the day. As we know, most, almost every parent um, goes off to work and their children go off to school and they see them in the morning and they see them in the evening. But um, that was wonderful to spend that time with my daughters. Um, another advantage is getting hugs in the hallway. Um, I never missed a home volleyball game or a home basketball game. Um, I knew their friends very well and their friends' parents. Um, and overall, I would say that it was really a great experience. I would say it was probably 85% positive and 15% negative, and it might have been even 90-10%, 90%-10%. And one last advantage is, is that I said this before, that my daughters felt like the school was their second home. You know, they had a playground. They had a gym, especially after school. Um, but also there can be some drawbacks to having your kids at the school that you lead. And there's a lot of additional complexities on dealing with the teachers of my children. I mentioned how that was one of my biggest regrets. Um, giving them space at school is really hard, especially in their tween and teen years. Um, pulling my punches. Um, and I mentioned about my daughter with ADD and that she didn't get what she needed that year. But other times when you see something or deal with something that you um, know this information, 
Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about where that information comes from, whether you see it yourself or whether it's reported to you at the dinner table or on the, from the back seat of the car on the drive home. But how you deal with your teachers and with the information that you know. Um, there's a lot of complexities and a lot of challenges that um, you will face. And so let's talk about that for a moment. Some of the challenges that you will face when it comes to having your own child at the school. And first of all is when you see poor instruction. So a teacher has your children. Poor instruction is taking place. Um, a lack of effective interactive teaching is happening in that classroom. When you see poor classroom management, you have to make a decision. And then you are more aware of the strengths and weaknesses of teachers because of what your child reports after school or at the dinner table or from the back seat on the drive home. And then you're asking yourself, okay, great, now what do I do? How much do I get involved? How hard do I push to, for this to get better? Um, is this teacher going to perceive the only reason that I'm getting involved is because my kid is in that class? So I've kind of identified some of the challenges. Um, I probably undersold the advantages. Um, like I said, I think it was really, um, from speaking from experience, for my three daughters at my school, I think it was, for me, probably 85 or 90% positive that they were attending the school that I led. But let's get into, I've identified the issues for the principal parent. Let's get into some strategies for success. So number one, Ask yourself the question, what does my child need? So, does my child need academic support? Do they need space? Do they need to build resilience and advocate for themselves in this situation? What does my child need should be a common refrain that you keep asking yourself every time something comes up at school or really even when things are going well at school is what does my child need? And then we'll get into how to navigate making sure that those needs are met. Number two, when dealing with a teacher, assume best intentions. So I think that most teachers are not intentionally looking for ways to make the principal's kid miserable. Um, I think that most teachers are really trying to do a good job and that they are not trying intentionally to look for ways to make this hard. And so when you're dealing with a teacher, I think it's best to assume best intention and then have those conversations. Okay, these are strategies for success for the principal parent. Number three, remember that there are two sides to the story. Probably many more than two sides, but there are two sides to the story, your child's side and the teacher's side. So I mentioned my daughter that I left at school when she was in first, first grade. So another thing about first grade is um, I remember very clearly Danielle's first grade teacher near the beginning of the school year. She said to me, I promise to believe half of what she says happens at your house if you promise to believe half of what she says happens in my classroom. And that always stuck with me. And I've used that, um, I've used that same quote many times with other teachers now. Um, but Danielle's first grade teacher said, I promise to believe half of what she says happens at your house 
if you promise to believe half of what she says happens in my classroom. And trust me, my daughters would, especially when they were younger, they'd be talking about stuff, you know, that was happening at my house. Yeah, mom and dad were arguing last night. And, you know, and so it, it can be embarrassing. It can be embarrassing. But just remember that there are two sides to the story. Okay, number four, strategies for the principal parent. Whenever possible, have your spouse or partner or significant other be your child's advocate at school. So if there's an issue, the person who has the meeting, whenever possible, is your spouse or partner. And that keeps you one step removed from the situation. So of course, you're going to debrief afterwards, but whenever possible, um, that's a really good idea. Number five, Always be clear with your teachers about which hat you are wearing in every conversation about your child. Are you wearing your parent hat or your principal hat? And it has to just be super clear which hat you're wearing when you are having conversations. And, you know, it's another thing about the access. I'm going to talk about access later. But, you know, you work in the same building with the people who teach your children. And so you could literally ask them anything about your child's education at any time of the day. And because you're the boss, they're probably going to feel like they need to drop everything and answer your question. So just need to keep that in mind as well, as far as the dynamic of as a principal parent, that you're also their boss. Okay. Strategies for the principal parent. Number six, this is a big one. I want you to really catch this one. Okay. Do the things that all the other parents do. Now, what I mean by that is register your child on time. If you have re-registration, if you're supposed to register your child for kindergarten, if you're supposed to turn in some paperwork, do the things that the other parents have to do. If there's a candy bar fundraiser, your kids sell the candy bars. Um, my kids sold so many, well, I really bought so many candy bars uh, over the years, but you're not just going to have your kid not, your child not sell the thing that you're selling to raise funds that everyone else has to do. Um, if your school requires permission slips for a field trip, then fill out the permission slip for the field trip. So do the things that other parents do. Don't just blow all that stuff off because you're the principal. Um, number seven, strategies for the principal parent. Make sure that you're advocating for all children and not just your own children. And that's another way to zoom out and to give yourself sort of a common sense check or a clarity check is, am I advocating for all kids or just for my kids? And then number eight, think of the most annoying things that the parents at your school say and do, and then don't say those things and don't do those things. <laughs> so the, the annoying things that parents say and do, like, well, my kid would never lie or um, you know, just um, demanding to um, have an audience with that teacher with no notice, um, you know, asking for a grade to be changed or detention to be taken away. Like the things that we talk about sometimes at the water cooler uh, and when we're venting about that parent, okay, well, don't be that parent. Um, think of the most annoying things that your parents say and do and don't do those things and don't say those things. So all of that was... Um, the perspective of the principal parent um, and having children in your in your own school. But I want to move on and I want to talk about this from the perspective of your child. And so I want to talk about what it's like to be the principal's kid. So I came up with a few things 
perceived favoritism, perceived influence. Instead of favoritism and influence, they typically get more scrutiny. Number four, early mornings and late nights. And number five, lack of space when they're tweens and teens. So I've come up with five things that are uh, things to consider when you're thinking about your child and what it's like for them to be in your school when you are the, the leader. So number one, if your child attends your school, there is going to be perceived favoritism. Their classmates, especially as they start to get older and start to realize how politics work, how the world works, they're going to think that your child didn't earn that A or that they'll never get it attention, or that they will get the best part in the spring musical, or that they'll be sure that they'll always make the cheerleading squad, or they'll get more playing time than they've earned on the soccer team, or an extension on every assignment, or some kind of special privileges. And so we have to be careful as principal parents to make sure our child gets treated like every other kid, and that we're not feeding that favoritism perception, but... It's not easy being a principal's kid, being the head of school's child, and there is going to be, especially once they start up into fourth grade and, and older, uh, perceived favoritism on the part of your child's classmates. Number two, perceived influence. I recently read a story about one principal's daughter who woke up on a snowy morning to over 500 texts to ask her dad to cancel school that day. And my daughters would get texts about snow days. They would get questions about, hey, can your dad change the dress code? Um, they would get complaints about a teacher or the menu choices in the lunchroom. And each of my daughters would just say, and each of them said this hundreds of times, they would say, he doesn't listen to me. Go and talk to him yourself. Um, but I'm sure that that got really old really quick for my daughters. And so there is a perception that the child of the leader has influence on the leader, and that's almost never true. So number three, as far as being the principal's kid, um, instead of favoritism and influence, your child often receives more scrutiny. When my daughters were little in early uh, childhood and early um, lower school, they just thought it was really cool to be at dad's school, you know, hugs in the hallway and all that kind of stuff. But it's long about third or fourth grade when that changes. And um, then there's that unwanted attention and they start putting pressure on themselves because they know their last name is Minkus and they don't want to do something that's going to damage my reputation as the leader of that school. And they hold themselves to a standard of behavior that is higher usually than the other kids. And they may not get more scrutiny from teachers, but there's the perception of that. And sometimes there's the reality of that. Um, and so when they're young, they don't really realize what's going on. It's just cool that you're at mom's school or dad's school. But um, when they get a little older, then there's a lot of pressure that they put on themselves and sometimes that pressure is put there by teachers. Number four, early mornings and late nights. This was a big one for our family. Um, we have a 30 minute, had a 30 minute commute to that school, had to be at school at 7.15 a.m. And when your daughter is five or six years old and has long hair that needs to be brushed out and just all of that kind of stuff, being at school at 7.15 a.m. when you live 30 minutes away that's getting up really early for five, six, seven-year-olds. 
Um, and then after school, there was a lack of predictability as far as when we were going to leave at the end of the day. Cause you know how that goes. It's like, well, you know, this thing happened, that thing happened. And so, um, it was tricky and sometimes they were hanging around now again, when they were, when they were younger, um, they'd just kind of run around and they'd go to the playground or they'd go to the gym and they'd, um, sometimes have a friend stay after school and they loved it. But the older that they got, my wife and I, we tried really hard to get them to not hate the school and hate being at school because of the early mornings and the late nights. And it was for us really less about the scrutiny and more about just the sheer amount of hours that they were at that building. And so I think we just really need to be careful about how much time our kids are physically there. And then number five, as far as what it's like to be the principal's kid is a lack of space when they're tweens and teens. Um, we know that once they get up into that um, tween and teen age level that they want that space, they want that privacy, they want to blossom and spend time with their friends and not have their parents around. Well, every kid whose parents, whose parent does not work at a school, there's seven or eight hours for that child away from their parents to grow and to try things and to fail and to have fun and to goof off and do awesome stuff and mess up and figure themselves out and figure everything out. But when we're running the school, sometimes they don't have that space. And so we need to be careful about that. So those are some of the things that the principal or head of school uh, that your child or children face. But I've come up with five strategies for success as it relates to you and your relationship with your children. So number one, have a conversation. First thing is, is that you just are reaffirming how much you love them and acknowledging that this is hard. Um, that love is unconditional and that you're constantly acknowledging that this is hard to be the child of someone who runs the school. Acknowledge the pressure Acknowledge the perceived favoritism and the perceived influence and the extra scrutiny and the extra pressure to try to be perfect and just tons and tons of empathy. And so I know that, that the age at which you have that conversation might be different depending on your child, but I strongly, strongly encourage that there's a very intentional conversation about the fact that your child attends the school that you lead and that you reaffirm your love for them, acknowledge that it's difficult, and then acknowledge all of the pressures that we talked about previously. All right, number two, discuss ground rules. So are there going to be hugs in the hallway? Um, are they going to call me dad or Mr. Minkus? And honestly, for each of my daughters, it was a little bit different. And I kind of took my lead from my daughters, but also what I felt was appropriate um, at school. And my daughters all um, called me dad at school. Um, make sure that they know that you will always listen to them, but that they're not, you're not going to fix everything for them and that they're not going to always have unlimited access to you while you're at school. Cause that's just not possible. So I think just to kind of discuss the ground rules so that everyone kind of knows what to do so that it's not, um, awkward or uncomfortable. And then as things come up that, really were unpredictable kind of scenarios, um, then you talk about that afterwards. Number three, acknowledge that you don't know it all. Um, this was something that I struggled with early in my career is I 
I don't know. I just, I think that a lot of it was because I was an insecure leader that I would get very defensive about feedback. And then, um, I would just act like I knew everything and that I was on top of everything when really I wasn't on top of everything. And so here's this, here's the point. Your child has a perspective of your school that you don't. Okay. I want to hit you with that again. Your child has a perspective of your school that you don't. That's just a fact. And so um, there's a time and a place to hear that perspective, but you have to acknowledge that you don't know it all and then listen to your child. Number four, remember that they are children. And here in my notes, I have children in all capital letters. I made the mistake of setting standards too high for my daughters. I made the mistake of putting too much pressure on them to never miss school or when they got a little older and they were 12 or 13 or 14 or 15 and just were really struggling and just needed a mental health day. Um, I finally got around to figuring out that a mental health day is okay. They get days off too. You know, not every kid has to have perfect attendance. Um, there's a lot of pressure on them and I think there needs to be a little bit of give and take and that we need to remember and that they're children and that we need to make sure that we have reasonable expectations and just ask yourself this question, you know, are my expectations for my child the same as they are for the other students in my school or are my expectations higher? Now the answer is usually, oh yeah, yeah, they're the same, but often the reality is that they're higher and you have to ask yourself about the difference between those two things, why it exists and what to do about it. So, um, and then number five, um, as far as a strategy for your, your child, uh, that is to encourage self-advocacy. So we know that that's a skill that we want our children to build. And um, instead of them coming to you and saying, hey, can you talk to this teacher about this? And, you know, and again, depending on their age, when they're in second grade, you're not going to tell them, well, you need to go talk to your teacher, um, you know, about that. But obviously, when they get up into intermediate or certainly by middle school, that they can be advocating um, for themselves and you don't have to try to solve every single problem. All right. So we've talked about being the principal parent. We've talked about being the child of the principal, and we're going to wrap it up by talking about being the teacher of the principal's kid. So I think it's important to remember the teacher's perspective on getting your child in their class. And for some of them, they perceive this to be a year-long teacher observation. Oh, no. You know, the head of school, their kid is in my class, and... They're going to hear every single detail of every single thing I do all year long. So we have to remember the perspective of the teacher. Another thing I think we need to do is acknowledge the pressure. They're thinking it, so let's just say it. Like, let's just have some open communication about um, the fact that, hey, I know this can be tricky. I know this can be awkward, but let's just keep some open communication. If you decide that your spouse or partner is going to be the primary person to talk about academic or behavioral issues, then let the teacher know that. But just acknowledging the pressure up front can go a long way. And then also access can be an issue. You have unlimited access to your teachers because you're the boss. So don't corner them. Don't just show up in their room after school and, you know, start grilling them with questions about what happened. Um, be respectful of their time, schedule a meeting, um, you know, 
you have to ask yourself this question. You know, parent-teacher conferences at most schools happen twice a year. Ask yourself this question. Am I having parent-teacher conferences all year long? Now, the answer should be somewhere, you know, maybe beyond just twice because you are the head of school and you do have that access and you should know more about what's going on with your child. But um, I think that sometimes we don't realize that we're abusing the access that we have to our teachers. So what do we do about that? We want to maintain good relationships with our teachers um, that teach our children. And so here are some strategies for success. Number one, decide what to do with what you observed and or with what you learned from your child. So you now know because you saw something ineffective teaching or ineffective classroom management, or you learned about this from your child, and now you've got to decide what are you going to do about it. So you have to ask yourself a few questions. Are you going to fight this battle now? Ask yourself, are the kids safe? Are the kids suffering? If the answer is that the kids are safe and that the kids are not suffering, so the kids are safe, the kids aren't suffering. This is a thing that's you heard, but you know, it, it's is it that big of an issue, or is it a right now issue? So, um, but if the kids aren't safe or the kids are suffering, then of course you're going to deal with it right away. But if the kids are safe, then you may want to deal with it after the school year ends, and it may inform future decisions on teacher placement. You know, this teacher's weak with classroom management, and so that informs. Um, the makeup of that person's class roster for the next year or just things of that nature. But it does get very tricky when you have to deal with things during the year when your child is in that class, but it's also going to happen. You know, it happened with me, it's going to happen with you, but I really think it comes down to choosing your battles. And sometimes you have to ask yourself, are the kids safe? Um, and are the kids, are the kids suffering? Um, number two, strategies for working with the teachers that teach your children. Um, always reinforce with your children that the teacher is the leader in the classroom. So with your children at home, when you have that conversation, always reinforce that you're, that the child's teacher is the leader in the classroom. Number three, if you choose to discuss school issues with your spouse or partner, never do that in front of your children. So I know some school leaders choose not to discuss anything about school or teachers with their spouse or partner, but if you do that, then you never should do that in front of your children. I know that's a no-brainer, but I think it's worth mentioning. And then number four, never criticize a teacher to your children. Now, you're going to say, well, wait a second. I would never do that. I would never criticize a teacher. Well, if your kid, if your child, excuse me, is venting a lot of frustration about this teacher, you can show empathy without agreeing with them and chiming in. Yeah, she's terrible. Or yeah, I can't believe that he would do that. Um, we know how, because we do this with parents all the time, that when they're venting frustration, that we show empathy but we aren't necessarily showing agreement. So we have to be careful when it comes to that. Um, and to wrap up this section, um, there's a elementary school principal in Dublin, Ohio. Her name is Jen Schwanke. And I heard a quote recently on a podcast and she said, in 20 years, it's going to matter way more if you were a good parent than if you were a good principal. So 
later on in life, you know, your kids are only going to be in school for X number of years, but they're going to be your child forever. So the decisions that you make, if you can look at it through the lens of it is way more important that you are a good parent than that you are a good principal, maybe that'll help guide some of your decisions. So let's hit the big takeaways of today's episode. There are three different perspectives that are equally important when it comes to your child being at the school that you lead. First, there's being a principal parent. Second, there's being the principal's child. And third, there's being the teacher of the principal's child. So just a few strategies, a few tips. Ask yourself the question, what does my child need? Um, Number two, when dealing with a teacher, assume best intentions. Number three, remember that there are two sides to every story. Number four, whenever possible, have your spouse or partner be your child's advocate at school. Number five, always be clear with your teachers about which hat you're wearing in every conversation about your child. Are you wearing the principal hat or the parent hat? Number six, do the things that the other parents do. Fill out the permission slip for the field trip, sell the candy bars, fill out the kindergarten registration. Number seven, make sure that you're advocating for all children and not just your own children. And number eight, think of the most annoying things that your parents say and do and don't say those things and don't do those things. So I always like to wrap up the episode with a call to action. And your call to action is if you have children in your school, I would call you to action to listen to this episode with your spouse or partner and discuss it. So if you have children in your school, listen to this episode with your spouse or partner and then talk about it afterwards. All right, let's wrap this up. I hope you got value from this episode. And my goal is to take my 30 years of experience and help you learn from my mistakes so that you can thrive and not just survive as you serve your school community. And I want you to know that there are a ton of free resources for you over at the privateschoolier.com slash resources. And there's plug and play PDs for you to use with your staff or to coach up an individual teacher. There are top 10 lists of books and TED Talks. There's a guide over there, the six things that every private school teacher wants from their leader. So again, that's the privateschoolleader.com slash guide. You can grab the show notes for today's episode at theprivateschoolleader.com slash episode 16. A new episode comes out every week on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Um, you can connect with me on Instagram at the private school leader or on Twitter at the PS leader. And please subscribe. Please share this with other leaders or aspiring leaders at your school. I've been your host, Mark Minkus, and I just want to say I appreciate you and all of your hard work that you're doing at your school. Thank you so much for taking some of your time to join us, join me here today, and I'll see you next time on the Private School Leader Podcast. And until then, always remember to serve first, lead second, and make a difference.